everyone. My name is Adam Striegel, and I am a graduate student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Uh, I've been asked to speak today by Amit Jala, my major professor, on the economics of herbicide programs in conventional Liberty Link and Roundup Ready to extend soybeans across Nebraska. Uh, this is the first of two different topics that we'll be discussing today at the crop production clinics. Hopefully you find these interesting. I've opted to record myself in advance because I'm sure as you guys know, uh, it's fun when technology has issues with all of these Zoom meetings. So let's go ahead and get started. So I wanna start with addressing an elephant that I know is in each of our rooms and that is herbicide resistant weeds. Uh, one of Amit's previous graduate students conducted a survey a few years back that found 60% of surveyed producers believe they have herbicide or specifically glyphosate resistant weeds on their farms. And what we've seen is this is changing some of the trends in our, our herbicide and weed management programs with a readoption of pre-herbicides. Uh, in soybeans alone, what we've seen on a national scale is an increase from 25% in the year 2000 to 70% in the year 2015. Now in Nebraska, we've seen similar trends with about 74% of Nebraska corn acres using a pre and about 59% of soybean acres in Nebraska using a pre-herbicide. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, the objective of this study was to compare five different commercially available pre-mixed pre-herbicide programs followed by four post-herbicide programs in soybeans. And what we wanted to look at was our weed control, our crop safety, yield, and of course the economics, which is the, arguably one of the most important components. Uh, for this project, we had multiple locations. Uh, we had Concord, Nebraska, and our northeast corner, Lincoln, Nebraska, Clay Center, and then out west we have North Platte and Scotts Bluff. And so what we did for this project is we pooled all the results from all five locations for two years, and that's what I'll be presenting today. So in this project, uh, we had uh, seven different pre-herbicide programs, a non-treaty control, which is required for a lot of these weed science projects to really see what would happen if we weren't to control the weeds uh, that are present in the fields. Uh, treatment two here, which is Zidua Pro and Warrant, we treated that as our weed-free, uh, which means anything that didn't get controlled by the herbicides were uh, hand-weeded by myself and other graduate students, uh, which were lucky or unlucky, I guess, to dry, draw that stick. Uh, treatment three, which is Authority Elite plus Tricor 4F, which is a formulation of Metribuzin right here. We also have Enlight, Fierce plus Tricor 4F. Uh, at the beginning of this project, Fierce MTZ had not been fully labeled, so that was uh, what we were doing to create that uh, premix or copac, I guess. Treatment six is Trivance, and treatment seven is Zidual Pro. And you can see the rates that we used in this column right here, as well as the costs associated uh, based off of uh, three independent surveys. Now, when we think about that, we can use a pre in essentially any type of soybean with the exception of any ones that include growth regulators that might injure, like extend or enlist beans. When it comes to post, uh, what you're going to be limited to essentially is going to be the traits that are in your soybeans. And so when we started this project in 2018, uh, Roundup Soybeans, uh, Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans and Liberty Link were the main names in the game. Uh, now we also have Enlist E3, Extend Flex, and Liberty Link GT27s. Um, and so that's what we have for the, the, the posts. In this project, we used uh, four different post programs. We had our first post program, which was just Extendamax with Roundup Powermax. Then we had a second treatment using these, those Extend soybeans where it was just applying uh, Roundup, not including that Extendamax. Uh, 
to serve kind of as a buffer in between some of these sensitive uh, cultivars, as well as to stand for the practice of not putting on Extended Max on your Extend beans. Uh, treatment three, this was uh, Liberty, which was applied to our Liberty Link beans. And then treatment four is Warrant plus Select Max plus Cobra. And that was our conventional post program and conventional soybeans. Uh, the rates that we used are right here, as well as the costs associated uh, for these programs as well. And so with five locations in two years, there's a lot of dates and a lot of numbers. Obviously, we can't pick one cultivar or, or variety uh, that will work in all of these locations. So the locations were allowed to select the varieties that would be best suited for their agronomic systems. And then the planting and herbicide application dates were made at different times for each location as well to really fit into that location's needs and time and also you know resources. Um, so there's a lot of dates here. We're just going to keep moving on though. So the results that I'm going to be discussing today would be our weed control and biomass reductions as well as our crop injury, crop yield, and our economics of these different programs. So when it comes from our pre-herbicide programs, at 28 days after the application of our pre-herbicides, all pre-herbicides that we evaluated in this study provided at least 80% control of these listed weed species, Palmer amaranth, common lamb's quarter, velvet leaf, uh, a hodgepodge of different grasses, whether that be large crabgrass, your green, large, yellow foxtails, and as well as sandbars. And then our North Platte location had issues with kochia, which is listed here as well. Um, overall, from a biomass reduction standpoint, uh, the pre-programs that we evaluated we're providing 94 to 74% uh, weed biomass reductions. And that ranged from 28 days to 45 days after these pre-applications were made. Uh, the biomass was collected right before we were to apply these posts. So that way you could really see the effect of those herbicides. Uh, so here's some plot photos I have from our Clay Center location in 2019. So our non-treated control, you're starting to see some of this vegetative growth uh, from these weed species that did not receive any herbicides. Now in comparison, this is our Zidual Pro and Warrant, so a relatively clean field. And you're still seeing that similar trend with Authority Elite uh, plus Tricor and in light, as well as Fierce MTZ and Trivens. And last but not least, we also have Zidual Pro. So this was just one site year of data uh, and, and photos but what we saw is that all of these pre-programs working relatively well across all locations. When we move into our post-herbicide data, uh, we saw similar trends in that 28 days after we applied these post-herbicides, all of the posts that we looked at in the study provided 85 to 95% control of those same listed weed species here with Palmer amaranth, common lamb's quarter, velvet leaf, and again, that you know hodgepodge of grasses with large crabgrass, foxtails, sandburrs. And then here, uh, specifically with kochia in North Platte, there was a little bit of a larger range of control uh, with glyphosate being incredibly ineffective at their uh, glyphosate resistant kochia population. Now, from a weed biomass reduction standpoint, what we saw is 86 to 99% weed biomass reductions at that 28 days after pre, uh, which was pretty exciting. These programs worked really, really well. Uh, to illustrate this, here's some more photographs that we have from 2019 in Clay Center. Um, this is our non-treated control. So you're starting to see the effects of not putting out a herbicide at all during the season. So this is obviously not what we want our fields to look like. 
Uh, we were seeing a lot of foxtails growing in here. Uh, and if you look down in there, you, I'm sure you can find a few soybeans as well. Uh, but then when we start to compare that to our pre-followed by post-herbicide programs, you start to see our herbicides doing work. So this is uh, our Extend Beans, and this was uh, received our ex Extendamax and our Roundup application. And then this is just if you were to apply Roundup in your Extend Beans. Uh, something we were a little bit surprised to see is for most research locations, we did not receive glyphosate-resistant weeds in the Extend soybeans. We were hoping to maybe find that, but we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, and then here is another application. Uh, this is in our Liberty Link beans, which received Liberty. And so you're starting to see a little bit of cupping. We'll talk about that in a minute, but still really good weed control. And then last but not least, uh, this is our conventional soybeans, which received our Warrant, our Select Max, and our Cobra. You're starting to see a little bit dinged up beans. Uh, this is obviously not ideal. So there was a little off target movement of the dicamba. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Uh, but you're also expecting to see some of that PPO burn from that lactofen in the Cobra. So let's talk about crop safety. As I was mentioning and alluding to earlier, we're gonna talk about this injuries. So with pre-injuries, uh, these products were incredibly uh, safe. We didn't see much injury if all, at all any. Uh, what our statistical analysis said was less than 4% across all locations and site years. So that's a really good margin of error. Um, for our post-herbicide injuries, what we found is that the Roundup Ready to Extend varieties had no crop injury. Uh, the Liberty Links, we saw about a 12% on average um, of dicamba off-target movement. And we were seeing that range from zero to 30%. Uh, and so the mileage might vary depending on which location and which year, but it averaged out to about 12%. And then for our conventional varieties, we have that lactofen, our PPO herbicide uh, injury burn, as well as about that 12% dicamba injury as well. So that was actually really exciting to see that the injury that we were seeing from off-target movement was roughly the same between Liberty Link and conventional varieties. But uh, control is, is very important, as is crop safety. Let's talk about our yield now, which is arguably important as well. Um, this is a pretty busy graph here. But what we have here on our x-axis is our pre-herbicide program, so our non-treated control run, running over to our Zidua Pro. And then on our y-axis, we have our bushels per acre. And so on top of each bar, which are color-coded based off of the post program that they received, uh, if they have shared letters, they are statistically similar. But what I have two main things I'd like to point out uh, with this graph here. The first being is that our Liberty Link varieties yielded comparatively to our Brown Up Ready to extend cultivars for most of our treatments, uh, as shown here in these green boxes. As we move into our conventional beans, only two of our programs were to statistically similar with Authority Elite plus Tricor and Trivance um, yielding comparatively to some of the Roundup Ready to extend cultivars. Now, that said, yield is important, but what we care about the most, I'd say, in this entire presentation is the economics of these programs. Is it economically viable to plant conventional soybeans? Is it economically viable to use these herbicides that we used? And so we had two economical analyses that we used. Uh, the first and foremost, I should mention, we did use the overall average price received of 850 per bushel for our GMO soybeans. 
and about a 950, so about a dollar and four cent premium for our conventional soybeans. And so the, the two measurements that we used was gross profit margin and our benefit cost ratio. So our gross profit margin, it, that took into consideration the cost of herbicides, adjuvants, the custom application cost by the co-op, as well as the seed costs, uh, which was the whole seed cost, not just the herbicide resistance trait. Um, we wanted to include that because there is a price premium associated with extend soybeans over conventional and vice versa. Uh, and so essentially what we're saying is after paying for our weed management program, how much of our gross revenue remains to pay for some of our other expenses. And then the second measurement that we took was the benefit cost ratio, which basically takes our gross revenue per acre. We minus what we would get if we were to apply no herbicides, and then we divide it by the cost of the weed management program. So essentially what we're using for the benefit cost ratio is, you know, how much return per dollar do I get if I put a dollar into my herbicide management program? And then, so that's what that one's going to measure. And so if you thought the last graph was a little messy, this one's even worse. Uh, so we, more lines, more, more axes. Again, on that x-axis, we have our pre-herbicide program going from non-treated control over to Zidual Pro. On our left-hand y-axis here, we have our gross profit margin on a scale of $0 up to $500 an acre. And then on our y-axis on the right-hand side, we have that benefit cost ratio ranging from 0, 0.0 to 4.0. Again, as with our yield data, you're seeing our post program in the different colors uh, right here. And so a lot to look at, here are my takeaways. The first and foremost is that the gross profit margin for conventional and herbicide resistant soybeans were comparable for two of these programs. Again, with that authority elite plus Tricor and Trivens. Uh, similar results to for what we saw with the yield. But when we look at the benefit cost ratio per dollar invested in the herbicide program, um, the benefit cost ratio for our conventional programs were lower than in our Extend and our Liberty Link soybeans up here. Main takeaways here though, for conclusions, uh, from our, our weed control standpoint, all of these pre-followed by post-herbicide programs worked well to control these weed species, excluding kochia. Uh, so that was a little bit more, uh, <laughs> we had some issues with kosher control in North Plot. If you want to hear more about that, feel free to shoot me a, a link or ask a question specifically. For this presentation, we're just going to keep moving forward. Uh, but for weed control, we saw at least 80% control at 28 days after pre and 85 to 95% control at 28 days after post. From a crop yield standpoint, our Liberty Link varieties were similar to Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans for most programs and two of our conventional programs were similar to Roundup Ready to Extend. From an economic standpoint, my main takeaway for this project is that if you have access to these price premiums, and I'd also argue if your weed spectrum is right, because conventional soybeans do have limited post-herbicide programs, conventional soybeans do and can offer uh, similar gross profit margins to herbicide-resistant soybeans. Uh, another thing I thought was interesting is that these Liberty Link soybeans were also comparable for most Roundup Ready to extend soybean programs as well. So those are my overall conclusions. Uh, with that, I'm gonna go ahead and pause my video. I have a whole nother chunk right after this, but I'll take any questions you guys might have. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome back. Uh, again, my name is Adam Striegel and I'm a graduate student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. 
Uh, this is my second topic that my major professor Amit Jala has asked me to discuss today at the Crop Production Clinics, and that is the control of Roundup Ready and Liberty Link volunteer corn in enlist corn systems. So let's go ahead and get started. So we know that volunteer corn is a problematic weed species, uh, which it's well documented in, in many different crops uh, with scientific literature dating all the way back to the 1970s to present day. Uh, namely, a lot of this research has looked at the reduction of crop yields or crop quality. Uh, and here are some of the yield reductions or crop quality reductions that we've, I, I just put together for this presentation. Six to 87% soybean reductions, uh, yield reductions four to 8% cotton lint reductions, and then a 19% uh, sucrose reduction in sugar beets. Uh, these research projects have mainly looked at the effects on yield, again, that crop quality, as well as how to manage that volunteer corn. Now, it's a little bit more of an enigma though in our corn on corn cropping systems, uh, where the scientific literature isn't really um, conclusive either way. But regardless of the effects of volunteer corn, the management of volunteer corn in a corn on corn cropping system has always required herbicide resistant trait rotation. Uh, and so here I have a, a diagram uh, with a planted crop herbicide resistant trait on the farthest left uh, column right here with our conventional corn, Roundup Ready corn, Liberty Link, and then our stacks with Roundup Ready, Liberty Link. Uh, so if you were to have a one of these crops following a year of volunteer corn, or excuse me, a conventional corn the year previously, you'd be able to control conventional volunteer corn with Roundup, with Liberty, or with both. When we move into a volunteer Roundup Ready hybrid, if you're wanting to control the volunteer corn in the field, you're going to have to rotate to planting a Liberty Link variety or one of those with the stacked varieties that you could use Liberty Link in as well. Moving into uh, a volunteer Liberty Link um, hybrid, you're looking at Roundup or again, that, that stacked variety. But when we look at our stacked variety, if we have volunteer from a stacked uh, hybrid, there is no rotation program that we can use to manage that volunteer corn in the corn on corn cropping system. And so that's entering into our new management option, which comes with Enlist. So Enlist hybrids are part of Corteva's um, enlist, enlist weed management family. And so enlist corn hybrids are resistant to 2,4-D choline, glyphosate, and the aeroloxyl phenoxypropionate, which is a really long word. We shorten it to FOPs most of the time. Uh, it's gonna be our group one herbicide. And we'll discuss that in the next slide. Now, it's also important to note that unlike our E3 uh, enlist soybeans, the glufosinate trait in enlist hybrids actually comes from a separate trait. So glufosinate, they're typically resistant to our liberty, uh, but it's going to be in a different uh, insertion event. Now let's talk about the, uh, the ACCA's herbicides. So as I mentioned earlier, the Enlist herbicides are resistant to the aeroloxyl phenoxypropionates, uh, which are right here, which we shorten to the FOPs. And so that's going to be our active ingredients or our trade names such as Fusillade and Assure 2. It does not provide resistance, however, to any of the DIMS or the DENS, which is Select Max. Post Plus and Axel XL. With this uh, Axel XL is more of a wheat herbicide, but we wanted to include it for this uh, presentation just to be thorough. So for this project, the overall objectives were to evaluate six different group one, our ACCA's group one herbicide inhibitors, uh, applied at two different application times for the control 
of volunteer Roundup Ready and Liberty Link corn, as well as uh, assess any crop injury and yield losses associated from these herbicides or yield loss, uh, which we could attribute to the growth of volunteer corn in our non-treated controls. So for our experimental location in 2018 and 2019, this study was conducted at the South Central Ag Lab in Clay Center, Nebraska. This was done under pivot irrigation with four replications. And in this project, we cross-planted volunteer corn uh, into our research plots at roughly 15,000 plants per acre. Uh, and that was done at the end of April in both years. And when I say that they're cross-planted, what I mean is we came in with a, a row crop planter just like you normally would, but at 15,000 plants per acre, and we planted uh, in rows going east and west a population of corn that I collected from uh, my dad's grain bin, actually, of volunteer corn. Or what we were going to use as volunteer corn. Uh, and then about a week later, we came back and planted our Enlist hybrids in rows running north and south. So the hybrids that we used are two different micogen numbers, and they're listed right here. Uh, we planted at 36, excuse me, 36,000 plants per acre. I'm getting a little too quick here. And uh, for weed management, because we only were interested in volunteer corn, we used uh, 2.5 quarts per acre of Acuron, uh, a decent rate. And then blanket posts were applied on all plots, in including the non-treated controls, to control any weeds, with the exception of volunteer corn. And that was Roundup PowerMax and Liberty. And that was done one week after the treatment applications were made. And so these applications were made using a CO2 pressurized backpack sprayer at 15,000 or excuse me, 15 gallons per acre. And our early posts corresponded with the 12 inch corn height. And that was around uh, the middle of June. And then our 20 inch height was near the end of June. And that was our late post. Uh, so that was, we did this kind of to get the idea of what effect would have if you were to apply and try to control this volunteer corn a little later than what you would prefer if it was a problem in your fields. And so here's the rates that we used uh, for these products. We had Fusilade DX, Assure 2, and Fusion. Those are all FOP herbicides. Then we had Select Max and Post Plus. Those are our DEM herbicides. And then Axil XL, and that is a DEN. And so these are all labeled rates. We use labeled adjuvants, labeled, recommend, labeled everything. Um, the main takeaway I want to have here, though, is that even though we did give our hybrid corn uh, a week late start in comparison to our, our uh, volunteer corn, the enlist corn was much taller at those application times due to hybrid vigor than our volunteer corn. And so these heights correspond to the height of the volunteer corn, not the crop. So today, the uh, results I have to discuss is the control of volunteer corn, uh, the effect of crop injury, and our overall yields in this project. And so here I have some photographs of our plots. Uh, I took these in our data, um, our data rows, which are in the center of each plot. I got on my hands and knees, and as you can see here, I'm pointing, I apologize. As you can see here by some of these, um, these carcasses of dead plants right here, that's not tillers, those are volunteer corn plants that we have controlled through the use of these FOP herbicides. So our Fusilade DX, which is Flazifop, Assure 2, which is Quizlifop, and the premix of Flazifop with Phenoxaprope, which is our fusion herbicide. So at both application times, we're seeing excellent, excellent control of this volunteer corn. Uh, now, when it came to our dims and our dens, uh, we knew going into this project that this was probably going to injure our corn, and that's exactly what we saw. 
So what you're seeing here is what we absolutely do not want to see out in our production fields, and that is damaged enlist corn to the application of dim and den chemistries. So Select Max, Post Plus, and uh, Axel XL are all products that will injure your enlist corn and cannot be used in these systems. Now it is important to note that our Select Max and Post Plus, those are our two best options for controlling volunteer enlist corn in soybeans, but that's obviously not what we want to do in our enlist uh, corn fields that we're producing for grain. So 2019 had some uh, growing, cha some challenges during the growing season, just like 2020 did. Uh, if you don't remember, in 2019, at least in the Clay Center location, we had a cool wet spring with a little bit of wind damage to some of those uh, plants in the early season. But the main problem was is that we saw three strong windstorms, and we had a green snap that reduced our population to about 22,000 plants per acre. And then it really came in again at that R3 growth stage with a 50% defoliating hail, which was just excellent for our yields. Um, so uh, in essence, what we had to do is we separated the two years of data so that way we could compare them just within themselves rather than across the years. And so here's what we have here. Uh, in this graph here, we have our herbicide program on the bottom here, and I, I accidentally used the uh, active ingredient names rather than the trade names, but we have our untreated control and our weed-free control on the left-hand side in gray, and then depending on the color of the bars is either 2018, which is the, the dark, uh, no stripes, and 2019, which has those white stripes as well. Uh, what I wanted to point out though here as we're looking at this graph of our, our herbicide program and our yield in bushels per acre, we're not seeing a yield reduction from volunteer corn uh, amongst the two years. Again, if the uh, uh, bar has similar letters across the, from one year to the next and vice versa, these are statistically similar and so are these. So we'll talk about the yield reduction in a few slides. We also saw that there was no yield reduction for FOP herbicide applications, which we, we kind of expected. Uh, enlist corn is resistant to all the aerolocsulfenoxy propionates, so we didn't expect to, to reg register any type of yield loss. Um, and you can see that at our early application time in, this, in these green bars and our late application time in these blue bars as well. Uh, moving on to our dim and den chemistries, you're seeing uh, just unacceptable yield losses. These are scenarios and situations where we absolutely do not want to see uh, in our production fields. Um, we're seeing just dramatic yield loss. Uh, what's interesting here, and I do want to point this out, you'll see the 2018 early post application of panoxidin actually yielded decently well in comparison to all the other treatments. Um, panoxidin is a uh, ACCA's herbicide that we use in wheat, and it's not even labeled for the control of volunteer corn in wheat. So it was a little interesting to see. It did have a little bit of activity, and there was some yield loss and, and crop injury, but it, I would say it's not going to be something we want to use to control enlist corn. Um, but let's talk about the yield effects that we saw from volunteer corn. So again, we planted at that 15,000 plants per acre, and we did not see a direct reduction in crop, crop yield from this. And I want to think about that. I had to think about this for a minute. And uh, what I came to is it comes down to the distribution of these plants throughout the field. So in this situation, we planted individual plants that were spaced and planted at the right depth. Uh, they had plenty of room to grow. 
think about what we're going to see out in our production fields. That's more of a clumped design where you have entire ears that are buried, uh, where they all have to compete with each other and, and may or may not be able to produce an, e a e excuse me, an ear, which may or may not contribute to yield. And so here's some uh, of the ears that I collected from our volunteer corn in 2019. So obviously with these upper ears right here, that's not something we really wanna see. That's not gonna be super helpful to our yield. But if we can get more of the ones down here, that actually could potentially help with our yield if they can get into the header. And so that's going to be an area that we need to address for future research in that clumped versus individual design. You know, is volunteer corn worth controlling in endless corn? So here are my overall final thoughts though, is that if you are using endless corn, Assure 2, uh, which is Quislifop, is the only currently labeled ACCase herbicide for use in endless corn. While some of these other products uh, have shown to be uh, safe, they are not currently registered for use. Uh, and for this research, you know, sometimes research creates more questions than it answers. So what we also need to look at is the yield effect, as I was mentioning on that last slide, spatial distribution of volunteer corn, a clumped design. What happens when we have clumped volunteer corn? And then also, how does this enlist herbicide-resistant trait move via gene flow into our non-tolerant hybrids that might be being grown just across the fence line? And what does that look like in terms of uh, herbicide management of volunteer corn and soybeans? Uh, I want to leave you with one final thought though, and that is a suggested rotation. If you're looking at using enlist corn and you are worried about your controlling volunteer corn and your corn on corn cropping systems, you're going to need to rotate to soybeans the year following enlist corn. So your first year, you might be able to grow Roundup Ready corn. You might plant in year two, a stacked variety with Liberty Link resistance as well to control this, which has no management uh, practice besides enlist, you'd plant your enlist corn in year three. And then in year four, you'd have to rotate to soybeans using either select or post to control your volunteer enlist as there is no selection method currently available to control volunteer enlist corn in corn. And so with that, that leads me to the end of my presentation. I'd love to take any questions you guys might have. Thank you.